this morning. This morning we're finishing up the sermon series that we've been working in, the Centered Sermon Series, part three. We've been working through Matthew chapter six. And the heart and the vision of the Centered Sermon Series has been that it feels like a world of chaos at the moment, a world that's pulling our attentions, asking for our safety and security, asking for a lot of things of us, and kind of this question of where, what will we put our lives, what will be the foundation that we put our lives on? And our belief as followers of Christ that the best thing to found our life on is the person of Jesus. That as we look to him, his life, and his words, we will be shaped more and more into his image. So we've been working through over the last year the Sermon on the Mount quite slowly, just kind of verse by verse working through what it means to live in the world that Jesus describes in the Sermon on the Mount. And through this series, we've been looking particularly at spiritual practices, those positive practices that we do in our lives, of giving to the needy, of prayer, of fasting, and how God might be asking us to be motivated as as we do those things, that we do them not out of a place of wanting to be noticed by others, of not wanting to earn anything, but we do them in worship of a loving God. And last week, Um, We heard a wonderful message by Dawn around actually is our safety, is our security in our God or is it in our money and possessions? Um, And she brought a fantastic message on that. And this morning, kind of continuing out of that, we're looking at Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34. So if you've got a Bible with you, I invite you to open up to Matthew chapter 6. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall I eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So our words this morning around Jesus are this words of do not worry or do not fear or do not be anxious. And I think this is one of those passages, one of those parts of scripture that can be easy to reduce to this platitude, this meaningless statement of don't worry, like life's going to be all good. Relax, don't be so anxious. And it can kind of become this flip pop psychology. And I think there's something maybe deeper in here that Jesus wants to speak to us. And particularly into kind of the moment we find ourselves in, not just individually, but I think as a country globally, kind of this cultural social moment. If you read historians, if you read 
sociologists, if you read people looking at culture currently, there's this general thought that we are in a period of significant transition. When that started and how long that'll go is quite diverse. Maybe some say this started maybe in the 50s and the 60s. Some would say actually with the invention of the internet and the kind of late 80s, early 90s, that kind of trigger it. But most would say actually this season that we're coming out of COVID has been a significant accelerator of a lot of change in our world. That it's had effects all over the globe. Not just in the kind of in thoughts and ideas and how we arrange ourselves, but in actually super practical, tangible ways as well. And thinking about the war in Ukraine that is still currently raging. Talking with friends who are Europeans, this idea of this war was unimaginable to them. Like, for them, literally, the idea of a land war in Europe was the Berlin Wall fell in 1989 Land wars are not possible in Europe anymore. They will never happen again. World War II was the last time. This will never, like, this is like blowing, like, we could not even imagine this would happen. And just the fear and the anxiety of this chaos, this disorder, this, we did not think this was possible. And just what that rises amongst Europeans and similar kind of events around our globe of these, like, we did not think this is making us re-imagine what our world could look like. For the church globally, there's been this kind of reckoning. For institutions, kind of this, in a lot of ways, healthy, good critique of what is the role of an institution in a society. What is its function? Churches have blown up, or actually the more common thing, of just this general decline of people increasingly not trusting institutions and not turning up to churches. And what do we do with this? This kind of this socially, people breaking into smaller and smaller niches. Jono was joking with me this morning. Um, was I going to mention the rugby in my sermon this morning? Which I realized someone commented, like, probably shouldn't have mentioned it because we lost. But, and I realized someone brings this. For me, I grew up in the church, and growing up in the church, if there was a rugby game, on a Saturday night, you always mention it on church on a Sunday. And everyone had watched it, and everyone got the joke, and there was a sense of, like, community in it. And something's changed. Like, even in something as small as that, I, like, I can get up and mention the rugby, and most, like, I feel like more than half people are just blank faces. Like, I don't really care. This is our national sport, but there's a sense of, like, we, there's less and less of those kind of corporate cultural things that we hold together. We've each got actually more little individual things that we hold. And what that can do is create this culture of anxiety, of worry, of stress. When we all have a lot of stuff in common, it feels safe. It feels easy. Social feels easy. When it's actually these less things, suddenly stuff starts to feel a bit more anxious. And globally we've seen this. I was reading this week some stuff from the Barna Institute. They've done some research. Um, They're constantly doing research, but did research into what they've called, they've defined millennials and Gen Zs in their research as 18 to 35-year-olds. And in 2019, they did this research, what are the top priorities to people in this age group? And they weren't in this order for millennials and Gen Zs, but these are the same top three, that they would become financially independent, 
that they would finish their education and that they would start their careers. Top three priorities of that age group in 2019. And before you even put any moral judgment on whether those are the right things to have as priorities. Imagine 2019, these are the most important things in your life and COVID hits. Imagine the devastation, the fear, the anxiety, what I value, what is important, I cannot achieve. House prices are skyrocketing, food prices going up, like financial independence feels farther and farther out of reach. I can't turn up to university lectures, I can't turn up to school, distance learning is weird and peculiar, education is hard. And then careers like this, globally, people con leaving, changing careers, this career landscape is in chaos as well. This is what, for the people in this generation globally, this is hard. Within the, I'm glad it wasn't in the top three, but also within the top 10 of both was as well, was traveling the world. Top 10 priority, travel the world. And that is, for at least a couple of years, was an impossibility. And now it kind of feels like this fragile, I book a flight, hopefully I can get on it. If I get on it, hopefully I can get back. Like, this is like, there's this, and this fear and anxiety, this stress could easily get in. And Jesus comes and speaks into this. Because I think his world, this is not just speaking about personal I think it's included, personal worry and stress. But I think he speaks into a cultural moment in his time that actually had this transition, had chaos, had stress as well. And he says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink or about your body, what you'll wear is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And here we get, like, there's this big conceptual stuff that feels in chaos. But Jesus doesn't just, it's not just about that stuff, it's the super practical, tangible, that our faith, that our lives, speaking about food, about sustenance, the stuff that feeds us. Every Christmas in our family, we have this tradition that my gran gets all of us a chocolate orange, if you have chocolate orange, something we eat every year, and as the family's grown, she buys a lot of chocolate getting a bit absurd how many she has to buy. Um, and one year she missed it, and it was a bit of a shock to all of us. Um, but every year we'd get these, and the common story that would go along with it was, oh, if you think back generations, for her it was like, oh, there was a time we're getting a regular orange in your stocking at Christmas was significant. Like, this was special. This was valuable. These things were not easy to come by. And for me, that's not a real, like, it's pretty common for us to have oranges in our fruit bowl. Like, that's a pretty regular thing. But I think through this current couple of years, there's been a, like, not fully grasping, but like, oh, food prices are rising. I'm having to actually make cho some choices around this stuff. It's not a free-for-all anymore. I'm starting to grasp what it would be like to actually have to think, actually have fears about my food. And this is us in a pretty well-off situation, not people in our society, people in our world who have far less means and the anxiety and the fear and the stress of where will I get my next meal? And in the midst of this 
I think there's questions for us, not just about next meal, but what are the fears that can drive our lives? Is it fears of rejection, of isolation, that we are unlovable, that we're incompetent? Is there a fear in our life? It can be from the most basic, do I get food, to actually kind of these other existential questions. And Jesus speaks into this. And we see actually through Scripture that the common experience in Scripture, the common stories are not from periods of stability. Like you get the time of the kings is a bit of an exception. And actually most of Scripture is story and drawing on metaphors and drawing on seasons of change and transition. And this seeing God work and move and be in those spaces, that's kind of the story of Scripture that God in those times, whether it's kind of being slaves in Egypt, that's this exodus journey, when it's being exiled into another country, actually these are the seasons that God seems to form and shape and work amongst his people especially closely. And I love this analogy because it, in a sense it doesn't draw back on those scriptural stories. What it actually points back to is God is our creator. God over all speaks of God's bigness, God's greatness, God's majesty, and in the midst of that, his gentleness and his kindness and his noticing the individual and the small. That as Christians, as followers of Christ, we're not people who believe that God created the world and just kind of left it to do its thing. And then after a few thousand years, we're like, ooh, better send Jesus. That actually God spirit is always working moving in creation and this points to that that actually god didn't just create the first bird and then they multiplied and they figure it out this speaks of like god is constantly sustaining and working and moving in his creation that is how he does it and as he would do it with the bird as we'll see the the flowers with the grass as he cares for these things does he not care for us more? And these images of creation, for those of us who are sit, I've lived in the city pretty much my whole life, it's easy to see creation as like this beautiful, other perfect thing of like, oh, the birds, like they've never done anything wrong. I get why God cares for them. But if you've been out in creation in the world for a decent amount of time, like there is fall and you see the effects of sin in there as well. That God is not speaking like, oh, the birds who are kind of got it all, like, they just trust, so they get my care. It's kind of like this image of, oh, you can understand God caring for a newborn baby who's innocent and perfect. But when they get older and make some bad decisions, you can kind of see the care step away a wee bit. But no, God says, no, I am constantly, my spirit is constantly working, renewing, caring, sustaining for my broken creation. And he continues in Matthew 6, 28 to 31. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. Do they not labor or spin? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that even, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? And here, like clothing apart from the social like reasons we wear it, 
has like practical purposes, but here it's almost pointing towards something of beauty. And we go after that, if we're going after in clothes or this kind of external appearance, again, we're going to be chasing after something that we're going to miss. And this is probably true. There's elements that are true particularly strongly um, in our world at the moment. And I've got, to illustrate this, I've got, some of you will know far more than me about this, but I've got three fast fashion facts of like, actually, how is our world dealing with this thing of fashion and beauty and clothes in a way that maybe isn't that helpful? Like Jesus is saying, we're worrying about clothes, we're chasing after this stuff in a way that is really unhelpful. And there's a lot, it's a very complex thing, so I've picked three that I thought help illustrate some different elements. The first is that what I've read is that our world produces 80 billion items of clothing, the fast fashion world, every year. That this pursuit of God to pursue the beautiful and the new and what the new is this week rather than last week or this month rather than last month, this constant production. And the implication of this is there are 300 million people employed in this industry with the assumption that fast fashion is cheap clothes produced cheaply, that these 300 million people are being vastly underpaid for the work that they are doing. That this has an impact on 300 million people in our world, that they're in some form of slavery producing these clothes for this chase after worry about our clothes and our beauty. And the last is one of these many facts around the environmental impacts. The fast fashion industry produces 10% of our greenhouse gases. There's another fact I read that. To produce one kg of cotton requires you to um, use three kgs of various kinds of chemicals in the process, that this has an incredible environmental impact on our world. And the invitation again is here is like, this is not something that is worth chasing after, that there is something of trusting the God of creation who created our incredibly beautiful world, our universe. Do we trust him that he will lead us to beauty, not this chasing after it through clothing? I grew up as a child in a mission organization that worked in the, amongst the urban poor in Southeast Asia. And one of their values is beauty, believing that in the midst of the hardest condition, people who literally live on slums, that God is bringing glimpses of beauty into those moments. That is how we find it, not through, hand. have I got the most beautiful, most recent outfit. And I think in this kind of this moment that has been described as a moment of fear and change, kind of how do we be as followers of Christ? And I'm reading this week, found this great quote by this theologian, Jonathan T. Pennington, and he says this, Anxiety about our future reveals a focus too much on the things of this world and maintaining them, putting one into the foolish category of laying up earthly treasures. There's a sense that fear is this, fear here is the same as the fear of like, are you storing up earthly possessions or relying on God? But it's actually broader. And I love this phrase in here, and maintaining them. In a world of change, When fear comes up, it's easy to have the default response of like, we've just got to hunker down and like try and return to the way things were, maintain the current systems. 
that's, that's just hoarding up earthly treasures, trying to maintain the current ways. And the invitation, I think, in the midst of this is God to say, there is change happening. Will you trust me? And I'm going to bring out creative ways to live in this new world. It might be different to the ways we've done things for the last 40 years, but will you trust that I will be with you in them? An example of this is currently food prices in New Zealand are increasingly rising. But RNZ this week on their podcast shared that in New Zealand we produce enough food to feed 40 million people as a country. 40 million. Now a good chunk of that will be exported to other countries, but there's also a significant portion that literally just goes to waste. Just goes to gets thrown out. And so in the midst of this time that feels chaos, feels change, food prices are rising, I think the invitation of people of God is what are the creative, imaginative ways that we may, like God has provided. We got 40, enough food to feed 40 million people. The resources are there. God as our creator has provided. How is he going to creatively lead us to distribute that so everyone has enough? that actually rather than the scarcity of we do not have enough, kind of these eyes that see our creator God who has created a universe larger than we can imagine and will we trust him with that? Just like he speaks of these created things. A few years ago, Sydney and I had a bit of a date day. We went over to O'Kane's Bay. Um, when we were dating, this was one of our favourite spots. And we spent a day there. It was a beautiful day going to the beach, having some fish and chips, um, just kind of walking around and spending some quality time together. And as we were walking back to our car, Sydney spotted a bird lying in the middle of the road. This bird had obviously at some point in the day found a bit of grub in the middle of the road, went for a snack, and missed or too late noticed that a car came and in flying away got clipped by this car. And this bird was just lying in the middle of the road essentially dying. And Sydney's response has kind of the soft heart was, we need to do something about this. Is there a vet? What, how can we like fix this bird? We've got to solve this with this reality of we're in Little River. Uh, we're in uh, O'Kane's Bay. There might be something in Little River, but this bird is not going to go well. And my response is probably like, best, best approach is just short, sharp, just end this thing. That's probably the most gentle thing to do. But as this bird was flapping around, kind of maybe aware of its reality, we took this bird and we placed it in the field next to the road and we just sat with it as it died. Because that's what Sydney wanted to do. And I think that's what our God does. That even in moments of change, moments that feel like death, we have a God who says, I notice, and I'm present, and I will be with you. That is what these verses say. And it's easy to get caught up in this fear and this chasing after stability and security. And God says, will you know me as the God who will sit with you, be present with you, caring for you in the midst of this? And so what do we do? 
Because I think the call is to not simply just not worry, to live a life of passivity. Because our verses this morning, Jesus' words speak of actually, we still have something to pursue, a purpose, something that drives us, but it doesn't need to be fear. Jesus says, for the pagans run after all things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. John Wesley speaks about we can live these lives that are lived in vain, that we're chasing after the wrong thing. That if we're chasing after trying to deal with our fears, we're just, we're going to get nowhere. That he talks, John Wesley talks around those who have enough to meet their daily needs but seek more wealth live in habitual denial of the Lord that has bought them. They deny their faith, and he says they're worse than the infidels. That we're invited to the space of a God who would lovingly care for his creation to live with him. And I think we're invited to this pursuit of our energies that would go to fear, instead go to this pursuit of his kingdom and his righteousness. And I think, I know for me, for many of us, it can be easy, these things that we see as God's kingdom, God's righteousness, to kind of be like, I will get after those things once I get through this hard stage, this hard season, or like, I've just like, I've got six months left to study, I just need to smash that out, and then, then I can get into these ways of pursuing God's kingdom. Maybe it just feels rough, maybe it's, I'm going to move, it's not worth investing. There are these reasons we can come up with, and I think Jesus would say, you're just chasing after something, you're never going to get there. There's always going to be a next thing to take you away from pursuing Christ and his kingdom and his righteousness. And I think it ultimately comes down to, will we trust a God who cares for the birds, who cares for the grass, who cares for the leaves? He is the God that as we pursue, do we trust that as we pursue him and his ways and his kingdom, that he will provide? That those fears will be stilled? One way that, as a church, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, we're going to, I think, go after this is we're going to do 21 days of prayer and fasting as a church. Not that this is a earning anything from God, but as a church coming before God and saying we are dependent on you, we need you. Our fears we want to meet them elsewhere but we actually want to pursue you first. And I just want to plant a wee seed for you to be thinking about how will you engage with this season of 21 days prayer and fasting? And I've got four ways of fasting to think about. The first, if you're brave, got experience and got permission from your doctor maybe you consider doing a full fast, not eat food for 21 days. It's a partial fast, which is skip a meal or skip a couple of meals every day. Might be breakfast, might be breakfast and lunch, might be lunch. What is something, a partial fast, where you cease eating food, trusting, not that you'll do anything, but that God will meet you on that space. Maybe it's kind of what's known as the Daniel fast, of like you cut out a whole bunch of food. Daniel, in the book of Daniel, practice 21 days of fasting where he essentially just ate like fruit and nuts and vegetables. Cut out meat, cut out dairy, cut out those. 
those kind of things. Maybe that's something. Or what I'm call, we're calling a soul fast. This is particularly for children, for youth, um, for those who have some kind of unhealthy r- relationship with food. Is there something else you could give up that holds significance in your life for 21 days? And I encourage you, actually, I didn't mention this in line, to not just, this is going to be a community practice. Is this is it family members, is it friends that you can gather around and maybe do something together? Like for us as a family, there's gonna, we've talked around, actually is, we've got very young kids, but is there something that can encourage participation from all of us? Maybe it's a life group, maybe there's a space where you can do this together. And I think we do these things, there's this great quote by Stanley Harris, one of my favorite theologians, and he says, To seek first the righteousness of the kingdom of God is to discover that for which we seek is given, not achieved. That this life of trying to fix our fears is this achievement. We're trying to solve this thing. And as we enter into these practices that God calls us to, as we enter into his kingdom, we find this is not an achievement thing. This is God comes and meets us and gives us more grace, more provision than we can imagine. that this kingdom image through scripture is often images of like seed that is planted. These are image of a mustard seed, which is essentially a weed of like you plant it and it just kind of goes and as followers pursuing it, we just part like, it's about this relationship with seed that grows and we don't know what its fruit is going to be, but we just go with it. That we have a God who Jesus says cares for us more than we probably think, who loves us, who wants to be with us. Yet if we spend our lives trying to chase after fixing these fears, these worries in this moment, we're going to miss him and the grace and the leading he wants to do in the midst of this. So the invitation this morning is, Do you know that you have a God who Jesus says cares for you more than that dying bird that Sydney and I encountered? Cares for you more than the flowers of the field? Do you believe that? Do you trust him in that? So if the band wants to come up, I want to pray to close. Heavenly Father, good and gracious God, Lord, I thank you that we can call you Father, that you are a good Father, that in seasons, individually, but also collectively, of chaos, of struggle, of uncertainty, where fear rises, that we know that you are a God who is present, who is moving, who is speaking, who is wanting to lead us through those moments, closely, intimately. Lord, if there's any of us here this morning who do not know you as that loving Father, present, caring, loving, may they have an encounter of you, that your Spirit would do a healing and cleansing work. That they would know that the pursuit of your kingdom gives us
Well, thanks for listening. We hope this teaching has served you well and that you've sent something of God's voice speaking to you. If there's any way that we can help or pray for you, support you in any way, we'd love to be able to do that. You can find out our contact info on our website at thewellnz.org or flick us an email at support at thewellnz.org. God bless you. We look forward to hearing from you soon.